Hello, hello. It's Elizabeth Chapin and Lee Jackson. Um, she was just saying she didn't want to say hello. It's us, and we're back. <laughs> but what do you say? Um, anyway, we we are here. It's been a while. We got a little derailed with uh, COVID and um, ice storms. Anyway, we're excited to talk about virtues today, which we've never really talked about before. And I got inspired by the Enneagram International Conference that was available for anyone who wanted to zoom in. And that was a real wonderful COVID um, silver lining and something I hope they do going forward because I don't know where they normally have it, probably all over the world, you know, it was people from all over the world. And um, it was just great to be able to attend from from my studio, actually. So that was Fun. So uh, Russ Hudson and Beatrice Chestnut talked about virtues, and it was nice to hear them side by side talking about it. Also, um, I listened to a podcast of Suzanne um, Stabile and Russ, and Russ went through all the virtues, um, and that was on Suzanne's podcast, and that was last summer. And I was driving up to Vermont and yeah, long time ago. And I was listening to Russ go through the, the virtues, um, which I've just never, you know, thought too much about. I don't know why it felt really, I, I totally, it felt like I was exhaling. So I thought we should just give it a whirl. Um, because if it felt like an exhale, maybe we can replicate that in our own way, hopefully. Yeah. Lee was Lee and I got together to talk about this and mm-hmm. and Lee wanted to make sure that we didn't just like regurgitate what what I got so excited about with right. Russ and Beatrice and Suzanne and so one of the things we were th- talking about is how you can kind of think you're being you're in your virtue basically you can like know what your virtue is and your number and you can kind of feel all virtuous but really it's just um I was saying the other day when we were we were here talking about it and I was cooking. I said, it's just your sin doing backflips. <laughs> it's just yeah. like your sin working extra hard and then you yeah. get all smug about it. And so we thought we'd try to kind of talk about what the virtues are, the sin, the virtue, and then try to talk about how we can, how you can get a little derailed by that. Yeah. How you can kind of trick yourself into thinking, I don't know, you've arrived or you've mm-hmm. got it, you've got it. Mm-hmm. And really, sometimes that's just how good your personality is. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And also, I was saying to her the other day when we were hanging out, that one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, just in general, and also with my work I've been doing, is um, David White is always talking about um, catching yourself uh in the space of not really, really wanting to be here. Mm -hmm. And so much of what David White talks about is our willingness to be here. Um, And all the things we do in our lives not to be here. And I think that the Enneagram, just I love putting truth on top of truth on top of truth. I think the Enneagram is just a different way of talking about that. It's all of our nine different ways of, of how we play at not being here. And not being here for ourselves and not being here for our life and how crazy that is given the fact that we're so afraid to die. We're so afraid of our mortality. We all want to be here and yet we're all, we're kind of waking up every day doing all these things 
that keep us from being active in our life and engaged in our life. And I think, I think that's the personality, right? That's yeah. doing that. Yeah. So it's a, uh, that I've, since we were talking about that, it's kind of a gut punch, even though I know that's what I'm up to and that I know that's what we're up to, but how silly that we spend so much time being scared of what's at the end of this, of this uh, journey. Yeah. And then we don't do anything about it. Right. And I, I think may, maybe for me as a nine, it kind of is an extra kind of harsh gut, gut punch, mm-hmm. you know, because I literally go to sleep. And that just makes me, like, it, when I think about that, it, it makes me kind of want to vomit. It makes me so um, kind of crushed that crushed. I, yeah. I just would not be here for mm. my life. Um, and that I would somehow trick myself into thinking that's the best way. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your peaceful overlay. Yeah. So what is a virtue? We've talked about sin in the past. um, And, you know, a sin is every, the, the sin with each Enneagram number is kind of has a little twist on it. And we'll talk a little bit about that again. um, Revisit those for each uh, number. But the virtue, every number has a virtue and um, Sandra Maitri, she says that virtues express an inherent plentitude and spaciousness in life, an underlying goodness and abundance that's implicit in life. So I think for me, when I hear about virtues or hear the different ways that different Enneagram masters try to get at it, I think it's kind of our essence or when we are present, when we... Um, do the work and our personality stands down in a way. Mm-hmm. I think Russ Hudson talks about it as grace. Mm-hmm. Um, just that space where um, we live into what is really true, that there is space, there is plenitude. Um, but our, our personalities, and Maitri also says this, we structure our lives by scarcity in whatever way. Do we um, know what number she is? You know, I don't know. I just wonder if uh, her number affects that comment. I mean, I, do you think everyone? I, I don't think every. Do you think everyone? I do. Actually, you do. You think? Yeah. Okay. T- I think that you could probably make a case for every number, whatever they've decided to be their way of making their way through the world, mm-hmm. um, where they've put their blinders on. I think that's a, a mode of scarcity. So interesting. I, that's I think, interesting. Yeah. I like it. Next podcast. Yeah. So what else do we want to say about virtues? It's, I always think about Suzanne saying, kind of talking about essence. And we talked about that in our introductory podcast, that mm-hmm. that that part of you, before you put on anything, before you were damaged, before you um, kind of got knocked around by reality, like who you would be if you really, really were here, if you mm-hmm. really didn't have these... Um, kind of walls built up and strategies mm-hmm. for uh, making our way through, um, which we need, quite honestly. But how how do we? It's it's that piece of us, the part of us that just pure is. I don't I don't know that I like the word pure, but I think essence is a is a great word. Um, I mean, the book I've been reading talks about it as like knowing knowing understanding your divinity. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's okay to. I mean, I'm going to say it. What, I what do I great. mean? Is it okay to say? Um, like knowing, 
that you're a piece of divinity and that every aspect of the world is a piece of divinity mm-hmm. and every person that you have a hard time with and that you don't like yeah. that's on your mind in a sticky, gross way is a piece also of divinity. And by putting them in the river of belonging in this world, you are allowing them to get closer to their own majesty, therefore getting closer to your yeah. own majesty. And so I just think that's a different way of talking about what essence looks like. Right? Yeah, Can I be. like that. I, I mean, like that. And the, the other thing is that virtues are not something that you just go and get. So just kind mm. of like with the Enneagram, you don't learn about your number and you've got it. Like, mm. that's not what it's about. So virtues or kind of understanding or living into the virtue of your um, personality is a result of transformation. It's a result of um, observing yourself, of paying attention, of choosing to do the work, mm-hmm. you know, to do this the stance work is, is what we talk about a lot. But virtue is just not an you know, it just doesn't happen just because you want it to, even right. though. But it's always available. It's always it available. It's always sure. there. Yeah. All right. So uh, two pride. Um, uh, pride is the sin of twos. And um, Suzanne describes that as the inability to acknowledge your own needs and suffering while attending to the needs of others. Beatrice Chestnut describes Two's pride is the desire to be important, needed, and to all things to all people, while not being enough to yourself. And I think that is really beautiful. Yeah. The next thing she says is seeing yourself as more indispensable than you are. And that's hard. That's yeah. a tough thing to say. Yeah, especially when shame is in the mix, right? Right. And um, yes. Yes, it's tough. And I, you know, and I think it's so hard to say that someone's indispensable because, I mean, that someone's dispensable because we're all both, right? You know, we're dispensable and indispensable. It just, it's about balancing your energy around that, you know? Um, So it's, uh, as she she puts it, it's seeing yourself as more indispensable than you are. Um, So I think the more maybe is the key word there. Yeah. Russ Hudson describes it as the denial of your own hurt, neediness, and rawness, not recognizing where you are so that you're not capable of really being with someone. Um, So I think that kind of comes from boundarylessness. Mm -hmm. And when you lack boundaries and you're trying to be all things to all people, you're not really, really anywhere with yourself or with others. And so that can start to feel controlling. It can start to feel frenetic. That that sentence or that part of his description of not recognizing where you are. I mean, that just feels so true to so many twos. Yeah. In that kind of cycle of trying to be the, all things, to all people. You know, yes. just that and not not knowing who who they are in that moment or where they are sometimes. Yes. And kind of their place in the. In, in others' worlds. Yes. And I think uh, pride, too, in in that um, they, they have a lot of pride around being all things to all people. So yeah. as soon as they see someone not being all things to all people, instead of being curious about that, 
they are so quick to say, oh, that's, that's selfish. Look, look at me. I'm all things to all people and I'm not selfish, but you're over there having a, uh, <laughs> you're over there having some time off. You're over there boundaried in some yeah. way yeah. that's looking kind of healthy and fabulous and nurturing, <laughs> and, but I'm just going to call it selfish, you know, and that's just a way that, that there's pride there and not, not looking at it. Um, and I wanted to mention too the Brene Brown study again, where she talks about ultimately the most boundaried people are the most compassionate. And so I think, um, since a two is, uh, so intuitive, so in the heart triad, so all those things, their goal is to be so compassionate and their mm-hmm. capability is to be so compassionate, but that you actually lose compassion when you're trying to be all things to all people because yeah. you get, you um, can't, you can't be, and you, you get, uh, you get worn out, you yeah. get worn out and resentful. And then, and also you lose perspective of, of actually, you know, where you're putting that energy in the first place. Yeah. It's not, it's not d- directed properly, mm-hmm. but anyway, the virtue of a two is humility. Um, one thing I wanted to say about that is, um, and I think it's sort of true for all the numbers, is that a lot of times when we just take our ball and go home, as I think, I think Suzanne likes to say that, when we mm-hmm. just take our ball and go home, mm-hmm. we think we're being virtuous, but we're really just taking our ball and going home. And uh, the two's way of doing that is just... Um, is just removing them, like just removing themselves from the situation right. and um, just packing it up and um, not helping anymore because they, you know, they, they're worn out. They're, they're worn done. out. Mm-hmm. And so I think they kind of remove the stimulation. They remove the temptations. They remove all those things that they need to work with in order to transform. And then they're maybe a little too quick to be proud of their being isolated for a little while, you know, (laughs) or, you know, spending some time alone and they start to feel really pleased with themselves because they've spent some time alone. And, and, um, I, I just think, uh, I think the reality is, is that you have to kind of, you have to be in the game. You have to have some skin in the game. And so a transformed two is really someone that's in the mix with people who don't necessarily need them and they're okay with it yeah, because they understand their place in it. So they've, they, humility comes out of really deeply knowing that you're not all things to all people and you're not triggering that into shame. You're like, but you're working through the shame in realizing that you have, you're enough for yourself. Right. That and you're enough. You're enough for, you're enough, period. Mm-hmm. You're enough for yourself. And then that allows you to see kind of your right sized place in the world. And you, when someone comes along and doesn't need you, you don't get so deeply triggered by shame and take right. your ball and go home and then feel cool that you spent two days by yourself. So I, I think the shame piece is huge in this situation because immediately any feeling of not being needed or being dispensable triggers that. 
and um, it's hard to get past it. I think in a way it's like all the emotions around shame get so big that Mm -hmm. you're not working with what the things you're supposed to be working with. You're just only working with just that kind of sticky just sticky wheel of shame and just kind of playing it over and over and over again in various ways to prop yourself up into thinking in some way that you're, you're actually indispensable, (laughs) you know, but it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I I love this. uh, I I don't, I can't remember if this is, no, this is Beatrice, right? I think she's like self-acceptance. So getting, being transformed into humility is uh, ultimately accepting yourself in the midst of people who maybe don't need you, and it opens you up to the whole world of relatedness instead of being related to those who need you, which is a certain kind of relationship. You are open to the entire world of all kinds of relatedness and what that looks like in yeah. its non-needy ways or big needy ways or medium needy ways. It's just all the ways that people are. It's like you can see it. You can see the spectrum of that and sit there in the spectrum of all of that and just be okay with yourself, right? be yourself. And be yourself. I think that's like when I think about twos being in the dependent stance, just kind of talking about being able to um, not get like the transformative work of a two with the Enneagram is starting to, to, to know their own value, like to think, mm-hmm. to bring up thinking and not be so dependent on kind of the signals that they think they're getting from everyone around them. Right. And so to me, it seems like the humility piece is, is the result of that transformation of, of practicing staying put. Yes. And finding themselves in the middle of, of all of those, all of those signals and, mm-hmm. um, stories that they're hearing mm-hmm. that no one might, we might not be actually saying or sharing. Right. But, right. but what happens for twos in those spaces when they bring up thinking, when they can stay put and start to trust, um, that they're enough. And that they have really good things to offer mm-hmm. as well. Like that's, that's that humility kind of peace, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's like it's on the other side of the mountain of shame. It's like yeah. you have, first you have to stay put. And then you have to realize that all the feelings inside you are mostly about shame. Right. And you have to like climb over all of that to, to quiet all of that enough to get to, uh, humility, yeah. to get to even hear your, your voice, which is not the shame voice. Right. Right. And the shame voice, I think what you were talking about earlier, how, how twos can kind of trick themselves and just thinking they've have this piece of humility, um, virtue wise is by saying, well, I'm not needed. I'll just move, I'll just move on. Right. <laughs> right like when right. the shame, um, gets too much or mm-hmm. when they're not getting the read that they need, yeah. then moving away, that does feel kind of like humility. Like I know, mm-hmm. I know when I'm not needed. Yeah. I, you know, yes, it's, it's, that's so tricky. It is tricky. Mm-hmm. So threes, um, 
I don't know if that feels like an exhale. These are not really feeling like exhales. But anyway, we will soldier on. Um, The three's uh, sin is deceit or vanity, depending on who you talk to, Russ or Beatrice. Um, I like like both. I like deceit and vanity. Um, Russ um, describes deceit as... uh, valuing what the ego needs and kind of basing your life on what the ego needs and a nonstop desire to prove that you are worth loving, which I think is heartbreaking sentence Mm -hmm. and true. Um, And probably hard for three to hear. They're going to push right back against that immediately. Yeah. Nonstop desire to prove your worth loving. A three is shape-shifting so frequently that they kind of believe that they're this valued image, that they, Mm -hmm. this valued role that they have built up from whatever the ego needs, and then just believing that. So um, those are just... the deceit. Yeah. So those are just different ways of talking about the sin. Uh, And then the virtue is um, sincerity. Other people say authenticity, and Lee and I have been talking about it a lot, and we think sincerity is just, we just like it as, yeah. a, as a word. And I think we like sincerity as a word because um, authenticity is such a big word right now. And I think that threes have the, the, the marvelous capacity to be authentic in whatever role they choose to play. Yeah. So whatever their role is that they've decided they're they are, they can do that so quote authentically. Yeah. And then have a lot of a lot of stuff around that. Yeah. A lot of feelings around that, a lot of intensity around how authentic they are in their role. Yeah. And so I, I like taking authenticity out of the equation and calling it sincerity. And there is even like I feel like in our social media kind of space, there is a, um, even the word authentic, you know, like a hashtag authentic could be that I'm not wearing makeup or that I, um, you know, got out of bed this way. Or I just feel like there's almost a definition of what it should look like to be authentic. What, Mm -hmm. what, um, and I think threes can do, can, can do that. I mean, I think we've taken the word, authentic in our culture and I'm kind of made it inauthentic. Right. Totally. <laughs> in a way. It's gotten hijacked. Yeah. And, and there's something about sincerity to me that doesn't have that same um, baggage, I guess. It's not, it doesn't have the baggage and it doesn't have the shine either. Yeah. That's why I like it. Yeah. It's like neither sexy nor overused. Um, Russ describes sincerity as a continuity of heart that is inside every single role you play. So what I love about that is it kind of spells out the work that a three needs to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in a way you could just sit down as a three and if if you're able, I guess, to see the roles you play, I guess that's the hard part. That's the first part. The first part is seeing the roles. Um, But if you could maybe try to make it fun, right? Try to make it, because you're good at lists, right? Probably write out all the roles. See if you can think about all the roles. And then inherently in each one of those roles, where do you see continuity? 
Um, and that is like an arrow pointing back to you probably, or it's a clue pointing back to you. Um, so I think that's helpful. I think it's kind of practical. That would be an interesting exercise to do with a group of threes. It would be so fun. We could do a workshop on that. The different, um, God, that would be a fun conversation. I'm going to write that down. Let's Workshop that. three role play. Um, <laughs> yeah. Three role play. Three role play. And then um, I can't remember again if this is Russ or Beatrice, but they were one of them was saying, or maybe both of them were saying that when you start to do that work and you start to see that continuity of heart mm-hmm. in all the roles you play, then what is exposed is how deeply, deeply, deeply emotional you are. And of course, we've talked about that a lot. And I like calling threes the sacred heart of the Enneagram. And I think, um, I think, I think so many of the roles that threes play are, are generally to cover up this hyper emotionality. It wouldn't work so well for them if, if they, if those were on their sleeve all the time, right? They're, no. The way they've set up their world would be disrupted. Right. It would, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard to be, I mean, unfortunately, it's hard to be successful and be very emotional, which I have issues with <laughs> as a menopausal woman. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so for sin is envy. This is also called the comparing mind. Or a sense of inner lack. Russ says that fours are chronically disappointed and always sighing. And this is literally true of me. <laughs> I do literally always sigh. And everybody in the room wonders what's going on. I would like to talk about the comparing mind because I trick myself so easily. As um, I'm always talking as a sexual four. I'm like, I'm, I'm not as competitive as all these books say a sexual four is. And I mm-hmm. floated that past Henry and Nathaniel this week and they both burst out laughing. So that's when you know. You're yeah. really delusional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't have any, you know, reason to lie to me. So, um, and so what I think I've been doing is tricking myself with my very active comparing mind and saying, that's not envy. You know, yeah. I don't have envy. I just am looking around at all these things that everybody has that I want, you know, or that I think I don't have, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and because you're aware of it, right. Okay. I'm right. aware of it. And so oh, I guess what I was saying is I'm not competitive. Um, yeah. but so I think if you're aware, if you're comparing all the time, then it's just like you're innately competitive <laughs> because you're comparing. Yeah. And I, I hate admitting that I really do. But because I, I think it's like a bad thing to I think I think it's sort of bad to be competitive, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, it, it's it not depends on the what category, right? Like right. you, you are not competitive in the way that most people would think of competitive, like when games or that sort of thing, it is related to it's at the stovetop. It's um it's, well, it's in different. It's in different places. I think. Well, I think. I think that uh, it's also where the doing repress comes out. I don't need to get off track here, but like I notice that when I see other people being openly competitive mm-hmm. and openly and easily claiming their majesty or their divinity, right? My first thing is like, 
Ugh. Yeah. I hate them. They're, that's so available to them. It's not available to me because I'm doing repressed and I'm operating out of lack and I can't do any of those things. And so I, I'm mad at those people. And, you know, how absurd because, yeah. you know, it's just a stupid game. It yeah. keep, it's a stupid game. Ugh. Anyway, so this is something that Russ said, and I think it's so good and I've never heard it before, but it's, he was talking about how that we have force have this constant reactivity of our hearts, constant, constant reactivity of our hearts and that we can, we confuse this texture, this reactivity with depth. Mm-hmm. So we are easily derailed from finding our transformation or our virtue because we think we're so involved with all this texture and in these things that, um, I mean, Russ said this, he said, most people are not at that. He said, most people really kind of aren't at that level, right? But that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not at your level. You're just like being. You're being tricked into thinking you you're are. You're being though. tricked into thinking that all your reactive texture is depth, and it's not. It's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, Rust talks about um, the heart of a four is always bleeding out. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Mm-hmm. Always bleeding out. I think he said it when he said it, he said, an eight's heart is dead, and they're trying to revive it. They're trying to bring it back to life. And a four's heart is just perpetually bleeding out. So the virtue for a four is equanimity, which Russ describes as the oceanic spaciousness of the heart, realizing that emotions come and go, and we can learn not to stuff them, avoid them, or get mired in them. And I think all of those verbs are important because they just, they kind of nail every subtype of a four in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, my son is a, um, what is he? He's a self-preserving four. And so he is always stuffing his mm-hmm. and I'm always over indulging mine. So it's, it's, it's important to realize that whether it's about indulging them too much or stuffing them too much or avoiding them. It's all about just that, that they come and they go and they come and they go and kind of making peace with that and, um, finding that equanimity. Um, and I think, you know, kind of going back to this, how you trick yourself into kind of thinking you do have equanimity mm -hmm. when you're just knee deep in your personality, because you, we all get so used to, kind of our way of doing it. And so I think about, you can think the texture of all of that emotion I think I'm is being equanimity. Off. I think right? that it's that like that, I'm being authentic or yeah, something yeah, and that that's worth it. Right. And I have, so I have some entitlement around that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever like really think that it's equanimity no. exactly. But you feel like you've gotten somewhere. You feel like I feel like where I'm getting is worth it. Worth it, yeah. And the reality is, is it's eating you alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a trick. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Beatrice uh, calls a force equanimity, realizing that you're n- you are not more or less special than anyone else. And I love that and hate <laughs> it, but it's so helpful to me. And my um, as a as an artist. Um, 
I struggle often with um, feelings of worthiness and feeling like it's okay to be an artist um, in, in, in times like this or, you know, when times are bad, when people are struggling. Mm-hmm. And Nathaniel always just says to me, what you're doing is no more or less important than what anyone else is doing. And I, I love that he put it that way because it's, it's both matter. It's not more important or less important. Right. So just do it. Just go do it. Um, and you, you're not more special or less special than anyone else. So just just live into that and stop all the reactivity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get really wrapped around that that quest for specialness and then saying that you're not on a quest for specialness because it feels embarrassing to admit that. But that's what you're doing. Yeah. That's what you're doing. And so it's it's a balm to give that up. If you can catch yourself and say, you know what, I'm just going to give it up be, trying to be special. I'm just going to let it go, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not something you do. Once. <laughs> you do it 18 <laughs> times a day, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. At least, um, yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, five, uh, their sin is avarice or greed. Is that mm-hmm. right? Great. Yep. Yes. Hoarding. Avarice uh, described as holding on too much to what you have um, uh, because you're afraid uh, of losing it. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're you holding on to what you have too much. Russ, speaking of the, all the hearts and the numbers, <laughs> he calls the five heart the dry, desiccated desert heart. <laughs> And therefore, very fragile. And um, he talked about fives as sea anemones. And he's a five. So Mm -hmm. I I listen extra good when Russ talks about fives. Um, He talks about fives as sea anemones who have their their little feelers, their little glowing feelers out, feeling the water in the ocean, and they contract them mm-hmm. um, almost like preemptively. Uh, we used to talk about my Italian greyhound Wendell is uh, he preemptively like makes a noise because he's worried about being stepped on. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. I think fives preemptively contract their hearts because they're so worried about being hurt. And it's, it's good for me to hear that because as a four married to a five, I think, Oh, they just don't, they don't like that. That's not even, possible you know I didn't know that they were extra sensitive it helps me a lot to know that Nathaniel's extra sensitive and so what he's been doing his whole life is being that contracted sea anemone which is just another way of talking about hoarding or Mm -hmm. the fear that something's going to be taken yeah and so he's just got all his little feelers stuck in Mm -hmm. on then and so what happens over time it's like threes playing the role over their life they forget that who they are a five's got their little their little arms contracted all mm-hmm. the time and they forget how to feel and so their heart is dry and desiccated <laughs> um but um anyway i think that's uh, it's good um their their virtue is non-attachment mm-hmm. and um i think it's easy for fives to i think this is oh a big thing goodness, to talk yes. about because uh, fives, uh, you know, they just think they're not attached all the time. They think they're so, you know, Buddhist and non-attached <laughs> and that the, they're just so good at it. And, yep. you know, Suzanne always says you can't be 
attached to anything you what does she say you can't be detached from anything you haven't attached to yeah nathaniel said he he didn't he wanted to put it differently do you remember how what he said um just that um I don't remember. I don't know. I remember having a whole conversation about this. I know it. He felt very strongly about it. It was a whole two Um, weeks ago. Yeah. Well, was it? I I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I think the point is, is that you have to, you have to practice putting your little feelers out there. Yeah. And you have to practice being uncontracted. And it's kind of like we were talking about twos being, staying put and being in the mix with people that don't need them. Well, five needs to kind of, try to leave their feelers out when things are messy and when they're not in control and when they feel scared. Yeah. They just need to practice leaving their feelers out in the midst of that storm, in the midst of the messiness, in the midst of not being able to control something so that they can practice what real non real non-attachment is, which is feel like observing all those things, letting them kind of touch your heart mm-hmm. and, and, and then also having a non-attachment in the midst of all of that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm saying, well, and how, how I mean, that's it. How easy for a five to think, Oh, I got this. Yeah. I just, of all, like of all the numbers, like you were saying, yeah, man, it's, uh, and that's, I- and I that's think what they're up to. That's what they're up to. And I think a f- I think the w- one way to tell is that a five can feel smug about their non-attachment, yeah. right? And so that's kind of an easy thing to see. But a, a five who is really like in the virtue of non-attachment, there's n- it's there's no smugness anywhere in the yeah. world because they've let those little feelers out, and they they're letting that flow. Th- they're letting all of that emotion flow through them. I, I like to think about fives in their in their virtue as being like a a channel, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they're open. Their feelers are out. All the water's coming in, and it flows through the sea anemone. But they're not attached because yeah. it flows through them, you know. There's something about like availability mm-hmm. when when a five is available in a yeah. different way that you you can sense it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, when they have that, yes. kind of non attachment. Yes, Beatrice describes it as all the doors of the heart remaining open and receiving all the gifts of the universe and not freaking out when there's abundance. So Hmm. that's good too. Cause I think, um, I think it doesn't, I, you know, I don't see it very often. I don't want to say it's not possible. I don't see fives with all the doors of their heart open. (laughs) I don't see that too much, but I think when I have seen it, I, I think that the good that comes their way, they're quick to then contract again. So like they, they start living so vulnerable. Yeah. They start living into mm-hmm. that abundance. They start leaving all the doors of their heart open. And then kind of like what becomes available to them because they opened all those doors is so much, there's so much more available to them than they thought, yeah. right? With all their holding on to their things. Mm-hmm. And then with that is a lot of goodness and abundance. And then they don't know what to do. That, that, that feels tricky they don't trust it yeah and they close back up yeah so it's like how do you stay open to that and keep being that channel well and I think you know going back to I'm just thinking about Nathaniel I don't know if this was the night that we were talking about all this but he was standing 
over here in the kitchen. And he looked, to me, he looked 20 years younger than he was. <laughs> he just kind of was shiny and kind of boyish. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of that is the doing, when a, a five kind of starts doing and is connecting with the world outside of their head or what they've decided they need to hold on to, be mm-hmm. it whatever they're hoarding, mm-hmm. is when you're putting yourself out in the world and, and doing, then then there has there has to be a little opening. There has to be a little vulnerability. And I think that's yeah. the the practice of yeah. and he'd been on a walk with a dog and talked to mm-hmm. people in the park and um you know, I think we don't necessarily right away think of non attachment with that kind of almost vibrancy mm-hmm. in, a, in a five. It's yeah. a, it's it's certain yeah, embodiedness. But when 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 a five is present and con- connected to us that's that's when the, their gift of how they see the world of mm-hmm. how they can offer us this clear clear non-attachment mm-hmm. um because otherwise they're not it's not it's not out there it's not anywhere yeah. else like their yeah. non-attachment and their yeah. personality is yeah just theirs Right. It's, yes. Um, it's not. Let's back up to the, the main Russ quote, which we yeah. forgot to say. Which, and this, I love this. And again, let's just remember that he's a five, so he gets <laughs> to say this. It's hard for fives to find a flow with people, and they don't. And <laughs> <laughs> they don't. So, yeah. see, like what you were just describing is a five in their flow. Yeah. And so, it's hard for fives to find a flow with people, and they don't. And they think but they not can. finding that flow is, you can trick yourself into thinking that is non-attachment. Yes. Right? Being yes. out of the flow is yeah. being not attached. Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess, um, again, I'm just not to keep, you know, harping on this, but these are just nine ways we take our ball and go home. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Gosh. Yeah. And that there's so much more. Yeah. That there's so much more if we can catch it. Yes. And, and you, you know, in thinking that. through all of this, there is something about the virtue is is found with, with others, like in relationship, in mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. And so there is, I think, kind of something about, not that it can't be a spiritual practice and that mm-hmm. you're self-observing and all of those things are important, but just I'm noticing as we talk through this that... There is some sort of vulnerability for all of us kind of putting down our our armor that we've mm-hmm. put on to not be here right and being here right. and there are others here with us and so how how do we how do we offer kind of the best of who we are in, in those spaces yeah yeah mm-hmm. so hard and good mm-hmm. so type six. The uh, sin is fear, and also uh, the word angst. I think Russ mm. Russ used the word angst, um, which we've kind of talked about, and how how I think that that might be a better word. So in this case, the definition is fear. Their angst is not necessarily caused by a present danger, but a six's need for. Um, certainty, predictability, safety, and wherever wherever they're putting that, wherever they need it from, they they want certainty. They want to know they're okay. 
And in this, their desire to kind of be prepared for everything, um, they're either withdrawn, kind of let you take charge, or they move against you, which is kind of the, oh, what are those words? Phobic and non-phobic sixes, kind mm-hmm. of what we hear about, or you can be both. I don't know that it's that uh, clear cut. Yeah. Um, but regardless, they're, they're closed off. They're, they're closed off and are looking outside of themselves to hear that they're safe, you know, yeah. that there's this predictability. And Russ talks about sixes having angst. And we've talked on, on our podcast about the, the word anxiety and about anxiety. I know I get anxious. You get, we all are anxious. I mean, God, our world I hear right it now. all the time now. It's like, it's not a word I knew growing up. Yeah. It's just everybody. It's like my kids are anxious. They talk about how anxious they are. Yeah. 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 And so that doesn't really get at what a six is feeling. And so I think this constant state of angst is just not something I, I can understand right. like with my own kind of sense of um in the times that I do get anxious which we all do and even in over this last year mm. with everything that's going on I still can't imagine the constancy of it and so I yeah. think um I think angst is a it, it kind of is a good place to hang our hat for sixes mm-hmm. I like that um because it's always always presence present so um the virtue for sixes is courage. And it's easy for sixes to think that when they're either, when they're contracted or they're not really experiencing a lot of danger around them or feeling attacked um, or, or, or when they're kind of on the attack or feeling feisty and kind of um, moving against people that um, they've done their work. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, when they've spent their whole life creating a safe space. Right. And then they don't have a lot of danger. They kind of feel courageous. Yeah. 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 Or when they kind of move against people, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when they, um, I would think probably in some ways, well, I guess it's a double edged sword. What? I would, I was going to say that like a six who, um, is counterphobic or who kind of moves against authority or is kind mm-hmm. of more, feels like more of an aggressive number Mm -hmm. might it might be easier for them to kind of trick themselves into thinking that is courage yes yes and I I think that's why it's important what you just said is that like whether you're contracted because you're trying to be safe and everything or you're attacking Mm -hmm. because you're trying to be safe both are from a closed heart so yeah both are um, from fear so neither one of those choices is courageous it's just this like going after certainty in the way that you're, you feel you can do it, whether attacking and aggressive Mm -hmm. defensive or uh, pulling in and having everything prepared and having a very controlled environment, et cetera. Right. Right. So for the, you know, the, the kind of transformative work to actually get to the, um, or for the virtue of courage to be available to you in a different way comes from when you get in the mix, when you get out there um, and you go into the world, even with your angst, even with your um, all of the predictions of danger, all of the anticipated 
things that are going to go wrong. And the sentence that you used the other night when we were talking, you said that fear hitches a ride with you, but you swim into the current anyways. <laughs> fear is in your back seat, but you keep driving um, and you make decisions. You, I, I think this is where you like a six starts trusting themselves. Mm-hmm. So they stop for a moment looking, looking at the horizon, looking to the people around them. Uh, for the the right answer, the safe answer, the you're okay piece, and they trust their own experience. Um, and that's, the angst doesn't necessarily go away. Right. But even more so that they're right. so courageous to kind of, to, to trust, to trust themselves. Um, let's see. I, the sentence here is, courage to question your own assumption that you find what's safe outside of you. And you have the courage to look within. So it's the idea that you've spent your whole life looking for some feedback that you're safe. Yeah. Right? And so the switch and the work for for a six is to trust that that's true inside of them is is the the virtue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... uh... I think again, it's it's it starts looking like that embodied, vigorous thing again, mm-hmm. like a a six in the current um, is something that is expansive and active, and yeah, uh, is is st- stopping the need for certainty, stopping the need to predict properly, and is just out there yeah. in it, and um. Doing all the research, you know, if you remember the sixes are in the head triad, mm-hmm. just kind of like a five that yeah. they can um, kind of trick themselves into thinking if they do all their homework to know that it's going to be safe, if they do all the reading, if they mm. ask all the questions, if they, and then they still kind of move ahead, that that's, um, their their assumption is that they have to do all of that work to kind of move into the spaces of connection, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of the the virtue of sixes is um, kind of step stepping into that, being available t- to us, mm-hmm. even when they haven't done all of that work ahead of time. Because well, all of the work can never be done. No, I right. mean it doesn't. You can research and research. You can look for certainty and look for certainty. Yeah. I think it's like you've maybe you've you you can step out into the current after you've done just a little bit, right? <laughs> because you're 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 good. You're good. You know. Yeah. It's and like we've talked all being in your knowing. You know, yeah. knowing who you are. Yeah. Like capital K. And that's when you you are present, right? So if yeah. you are so, if a six when a six is so preoccupied mm-hmm. with all of the strategies mm-hmm. that they have for. Um, being safe, yeah. Then we don't we don't get to meet them as right. You know they're not really here, right? Right. Um, so, and and we have talked before about sixes being kind of the bravest. Yes. Um, and the more sixes I meet, I just think, my goodness, I know it. That every time they show up, we want we want more, right? Um, of those pieces of vulnerability and connection. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to know 
Yeah, then more. And I've enjoyed listening to Kathy Sever, who's been mm-hmm. on our podcast a couple times. Listening to her, like reading her Instagram post during the ice storm has been really great. It's yeah. been really informative. Um, you know, she, that, that's a, <laughs> that's a big, big thing. And I think a lot of it is about, you know, the, how, how our government failed us, yeah. how the leaders of Texas failed us. And so I think there's a lot of, it just kind of energy around double that. downs. Yeah. The distrust. Yeah. 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 Ooh, that's, that could be a whole thing. Yeah. I know. I was thinking it'd be, <laughs> we've had a COVID six. Now we can have ice storm, <laughs> storm ice storm six. six. <laughs> how, how did you do? Um, so okay. Seven. Am, am I doing sevens? Yes. You're doing sevens. Um, so gluttony is the sin described as trying to fill the empty soul up with experiences. Um, an experienced junkie, which I think is good. Um, an unrelenting desire to not be limited or have any constraints. Yeah. An addiction to variety or it, options. You know, I think about the sevens that I know when you say a desire to not be limited or have constraints. And yes. when I think about myself as a nine and how I define conflict, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm just shocked with the sevens that I know yeah. what they define as a constraint. Or yes. when they get to the point huh. and it feels like a constraint. And I, I've learned to that's, pick up on it pretty quickly. That's um, good. Because I think when they get too, too stressed, things that you think, that's what that's just life. Yeah. You know? And um, the pushback of that can be intense. And it, yeah. it reminds me of... Um, of myself, yeah. I was deciding thinking, what is conflict. Yeah. So what what a nine thinks is conflict is is surprising to the rest of us because it's like so many little things that we would never, never. define as conflictual. No. And for a seven, what they define as constraint um, is surprising to the it's rest surprising. of us because we would never see it as a constraint. And so I think sometimes sevens have a hard time. Uh, wrapping their heads around being in the fear triad. And I mm-hmm. think if a seven can look at what, how, what that's about, like right. what, what about constraint and, and it can limitation, be an ask, like a just fair, scare in life. Yeah. Because like the, if you want to see a, an, a really activated seven, try limiting them, <laughs> try constraining them. Yeah. Even they if will, you don't know you're doing it. Yeah, but like if you want to like oh, yeah. if you want to like just really do it, then that that's <laughs> boy, you're in for a show. Poke the bear. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, you know sevens can just think about that. They could do they could make a little list like the three that we've given mm-hmm. the three, and and think of like what what feels like constraint to you. Yeah, and and why, you know, it's good. Uh, so, uh, an addiction to variety. I like that a lot and options. Um, so I think, you know, cause I think sevens don't like that word gluttony either because right. for some people that feels, um, really icky or really like, um, mm, well, it's just related to like, to me when I like think food and food drink. and yeah. mess. Just and, there, just, and I know plenty of sevens who are just kind of not that. No. That's not their thing. So when I think, when you think of it as options and variety and yes. experience, then that's maybe an easier way to talk about gluttony. Yeah, I um, think so too. So, uh, and also I think um, 
a seven taking their ball and going home is a real, real easy thing to see. So we've been talking about that in the numbers. A seven, when a seven does that, everybody knows because Mm -hmm. they were in there trying to not be constrained and expanding the room and bringing the energy and all kinds of expansiveness happening and great things happening. And then somebody tried to limit them or they couldn't get their way or whatever, and they take their ball and eject. And so I think a seven can kind of think they're doing their work uh, just because they've removed themselves from the playing field mm-hmm. or they've chosen a different playing field. So it's like uh, uh, if you just go find a, a different field to play on where people don't know your tricks and you can kind of suddenly feel refreshed and uh, have another go at your behavior, mm-hmm. you kind of think you're doing, you've got it, you've got it all figured out or if you just kind of wall up and go literally stay away from uh, the playing field and, and you kind of think you've got it all together because you don't have, you're not practicing in the messiness. You're not, mm-hmm. I mean, the only way to know you're doing well is when someone tries to constrain you or limit you and you ha- you can handle it. <laughs> And you don't run away. You stay put, as you say. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is interesting. We keep saying stay put. So it's like, what triggers you? Well, don't don't go anywhere. <laughs> Just take a minute and observe minute. yourself, right? Like yeah. it's this constant um, yeah. awareness. So I think I yeah. think for sevens, it's like, when are you changing your playing field or when are you leaving the playing field and you think you're being virtuous but mm-hmm. you're actually just um running away from this from the constraint from of whatever you decided is a constraint yes. yeah and so um sobriety is the virtue of a seven and i i think that's probably maybe a weird word for sevens you know i'm mm-hmm. sh- not sure they want or like would even strive for that being uh a virtue, but um, I like Russ calls it delicious engagement with what is coming easily to you. And I think that's so beautiful. Um, and I think it's uh, a really wonderful thing to think about because like sometimes I get frustrated because I'm trying to go after all these things that are not coming easily to me. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself of what is what's coming easily and say, okay, Elizabeth, focus on all the things that are coming easily to towards you and all the love that you already have, you know? And so for a seven, yes, exactly. And so for a seven, who's in the aggressive stance, who's always trying to make things happen that are not happening easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and they like, we talk about the pride of a two, uh, being all things to all people, sevens have really decided that it is their job to make things happen that are hard to make happen. And golly, if they weren't there doing it, then all these things wouldn't happen. Well, some of that's true. Some of it is true that they make things happen that without them, it wouldn't happen. But then they get addicted to that feeling Mm -hmm. and they maybe like uh, think a little bit that that's the indispensable quality of theirs, right? And they are just get in the habit of pushing, pushing, pushing against things that are hard to make happen. And so a sober seven is someone who says, you know, I'm going to focus on what's already flowing here. 
what is flowing to me mm-hmm. easily, and I'm going to be present to it. And I'm not going to be thinking about every other option that could be happening. I'm mm-hmm. going to be, I think, almost more than anyone. I think I said this. For, you could probably make a case for every number for right. this to be true. But gosh, for a seven to be here, the you know, when we <sighs> talk to sevens about how oh. the anticipation of what could be, of what's next. Yes. Like, of be, it, which is just like all of us, mm-hmm. a way of being anywhere but here. Right. And when you think about addicts, when yes. you think about the word sobriety, mm-hmm. you know, that it is kind of dealing with what's what you know, is. not escaping, yes. but being here. And um, yeah, that's, I don't, I, because think I think for some it's just harder. I think, you know, I think that, um, they do make our lives more delicious and more yes. fun. And so I think, um, but they're always disappointed too. Fours are always disappointed. Sevens are always disappointed mm-hmm. because they're these experienced junkies and always looking forward to the next thing, which doesn't live which up to Which is going to gonna be better. And, right. It's going to mm-hmm. be better. And then they're disappointed. And so if they can realize that sobriety is not some boring thing, but it's the, it's the, all the texture and all the beauty of being totally, totally in life right now. And that is sexy. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get kind of worked up about it because sevens, because they are all these things that we're saying, we want them so badly mm-hmm. to get there, don't we? I mean, like, I'm not sure I have that. And maybe this is just me, but I don't have the longing maybe for other numbers to get to their virtue as much as I'd have for someone to get to their virtue. Because what they're taking is all that beauty and joy and, and vitality that we love so much about them. And they're deepening it mm-hmm. they're engaging and, it and ma- it's real and it's mm-hmm. it's accessible to us and we feel connected to it and we feel connected to them and it's because it's it's present that texture and that engagement is it's real mm-hmm. and it's it's practical yeah. and it works for them and it works for us and that's awesome. I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You, it's rare. Making sobriety sexy. Is, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it is. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Good. <laughs> All right. Eights. So sin is lust. And um, a way to talk about that, we've talked about it before, is an ad- ad- addiction to int- intensity. Um, bigness, abundance, you know, aggressive numbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, they just think it can be done. Mm-hmm. They, and they think they can do it and mm-hmm. they can make it happen. So it's just this, um, lust for life. And, and I liked how, uh, uh, Beatrice and Russ talked about the difference in a seven and an eight is an, for the seven, it's that it's more about the variety of experience, you know, mm-hmm. and for an eight, it's just about the intensity. Yeah. Of the experience. Yeah. And that's... And in some ways, the correctness of it, I think, too. Mm-hmm. There's something about... When you, eight, when you say correct. I think eights think they're right. Yeah. You know, I, I think, think sevens there's something, think they're right. Well, I guess all of us do. All of degree. us do. But oh, my God, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 that's true. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, so, <laughs> so while we're here, <laughs> an eight can get kind of kind of trapped in um, kind of thinking they've arrived or have done are doing doing their work um, by deciding that this whole idea of telling telling us how it is um, or kind of their no bullshit approach being like i'm i'm being it's almost like authenticity in a way right like mm. i'm just i'm i'm being me yeah and i'm telling the truth and i'm doing it mm-hmm. and um in some ways they can kind of feel entitled or yeah. proud of that um and you <laughs> you uh talked about russ saying that um when he was talking through virtues and he was describing the hearts of each number that um in some ways, eights, he has described what, what would be a dead heart, which mm-hmm. just sounds horrible to say. Um, but that it has to be, they have, they're kind of moving ahead, not just believing they've, they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. They're doing the right thing. They, they have to kind of set their heart aside. Yeah. Um, and sometimes and, um, Look, I'm totally being nine-ish right now. I'm like, oh, that sounds a little harsh. <laughs> what well, does sound I'm harsh? Feeling a little, I'm feeling a little. Um, I'm f- feeling a little. Uh, Want to say it both ways, but that that they have to reconnect to their to their heart, to mm-hmm. their feelings um, for real transformation. So tricking yourself into saying because you are you don't care what people think. Um, that kind of feels sounds kind of good to a lot of us, mm-hmm. um, but that's not that's not the eight's work, you right, know. That's right. not it, and um, that's not where where they've arrived. And um, Maitri says that although eights seem more alive and exuberant, full of lust for life, inwardly they are often cut off from their own vitality because they are not connected to their heart. Because they're not connected to what's around them, um, they're looking in the future. They're moving ahead. They're um, going after more. And so, um, in Russ's kind of image, he says that they just have to that it has to be revived. That it has to be shocked, mm-hmm. shocked into life, right? But I think the I think the beautiful thing about Russ saying all that is that mm-hmm. it's the the dead heart that has to be revived. And so it's not like. It's not just that it's over and that they nope. have this dead heart. It's that, that you have to have to realize the intensity yeah. of what's required, which is a total re- revitalizing of the heart. And with that comes um, being completely raw and affected. Yeah. And they have to want that. Yeah. And it is, it's an intense image mm-hmm. for, for an intense, an intense type. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And so the virtue that the, the virtue of the eight is innocence. And um, this means receiving, that eights are able to receive the world around them and not necessarily have to impact it. That they don't have to be the ones who um, take charge, who kind of put their, I always think about eights putting their blinders on um, and just, you know, pointing their head to the place that they want to go and charging ahead. And so I think kind of opening opening their hearts means that 
they're, they're going to, they're going to stay open Mm -hmm. and, and be in the world and whether they have the impact that they've decided needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, it stops being the the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and like Russ was describing innocence is not closing your heart down for anything, anything. And that that's a decision. So your heart gets revitalized. It gets, what do you call it? You put the pads on the heart. What do you call that? Shock. Yeah. So you shock that heart back to life. And then it's a decision that an eight makes that like there, all this stuff, I'm going to let it affect me. I'm mm-hmm. going to let it affect me. I'm going to be affected and I'm just going to keep going. And I'm it's not a different close kind of down. tenacity, right? Yes. That we kind of think about with eights. And I, the word innocent feels kind of shocking to me too. Like sure. when you put lust and innocence together, they're just two pretty big extreme words. But I think, I think it captures kind of, I'm going to remain this way. I'm going to remain open no matter what versus I'm going to charge ahead no matter, no matter what. what, right? right. That, that gift of kind of a bulwark kind of presence is still there. Yeah. But it's, it's tender. Yeah. It's a different tenderness. Yes. Yeah. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Lovely. All right. Nine, uh, the sin is slop. And uh, there's so many ways to talk about this. So shutting down to the full sense of your inner life, numbing out, inability to take action on your own behalf, losing energy around personal desires and goals. So basically um, being asleep. Uh, Maitri says that um, sloth is a drive, and she puts in parentheses, if we can call it that, (laughs) a drive towards (laughs) inattention to self. So we are driven to not pay attention to ourselves. Um, it's a self-neglect. It's an interesting sentence, isn't it? Yeah, right? Um, self-neglect and heedlessness. So a drive towards inattention to self, self-neglect and heedlessness. A muffling and damping down of the inner life and therefore any outward expression of that life, right? So it's... Um, That's so beautiful. Yeah, a muffling down of your inner life. <laughs> Just, so good. Yeah. So um, I came across the word trance recently. I can't remember if where I read it, but I think that's a really, you know, I use the word asleep a lot for me, but I I think when, when nines trick themselves, we're so after peace and we really think that we can f- find it if we, you know, that we think it's there. And mm-hmm. so... Part of how we 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 trick ourselves into believing we found it or um, avoiding conflict mm-hmm. is we go to sleep. And but I I kind of like the word trance of kind of being in a trance. Yeah, yeah. that we kind of fool ourselves, um, and it's we're numb. We don't really know what's we're disengaged from what's going on inside us. What is um, going on outside of us? Yeah, it's a good way to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you kind of we kind of numb out, and there's a part of a part of us that can kind of trick ourselves into thinking that is bliss and mm-hmm. peace. Like when you're not being disturbed, uh-huh. when you've kind of um, that that can be the ultimate goal. Yeah, right. That yeah. that's that's the the trap. <laughs> not being disturbed. Not being disturbed. Um, 
Do you think, do you think, I know that we all sandbag and I've been hearing that a lot lately Mm -hmm. that we all have ways of limiting our expectations on ourselves and going after them. But I think probably the withdrawing stance particularly does that. So if we don't go after our big goals and desires, then we won't. I imagine that failing those, failing to meet those feels like conflict or not. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because like maybe for nuns, so there's some people that are like asleep. I'm not asleep. Or, right. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just a different way to talk about um, limiting the capacity of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Or... Yeah. And in that limiting, you've tricked yourself into thinking that that is good. Yeah. Right? That that feeling of what we've decided is kind of an equanimity ourselves, mm-hmm. our peacefulness, mm-hmm. um, is the, the ultimate, right? <laughs> um, when really we're not here, yeah. just like everybody else, we're not, we're not here. Right. So the virtue for nine is action. And, um, which is good. So our, we're bringing up our doing, our doing repressed center. And, but this means that we have real engagement, that we're passionate about where and who we are, um, that we, um, take time to, you know, for a nine, I think sometimes people, people forget that it's inner and outer, right? So that action for, for a nine means that they are in touch with what they desire what they want and that they are somehow manifesting that that they're going after it whatever that means right so there is a a a different kind of power or vitality or awakeness for um for a nine and you know a lot of enneagram teachers and and suzanne talks about right action and it being just kind of these once in a while kind of things where nines kind of really show up and don't really care so much about the conflict it it feels really out of um out of sync with mm-hmm. who they are normally and um I, you know i i think that that can be true i think sometimes there are really big decisions that a nine makes and we just make them and we we just kind of walk right through the consequences and don't don't care that much mm-hmm. right but i think the larger virtue of action is this constant practice of mm-hmm. being present and kind of listening to what is what what's going on inside of you, paying attention even if you don't want to hear it, mm-hmm. um, and the same on the outside. And so, um, it's kind of this ongoing action. It's yeah. not just a one time or yeah, a five I- times kind of thing. Um, but it it it's kind of knowing what your real action is, which is not to be numbed out not to be in a trance it's to be engaged to show up to connect um and that that's the virtue right Mm -hmm. that that's um it can look really big and i think it can be really big decisions but i think the i think the transformation part is ongoing it might just be i mean calling it right action just might be a way of talking about when other people other numbers notice yeah a nine who is in their virtue like really in their virtue because it's big and they think what is up with her what's going on with that nine being like that but i yeah and so i think it's those are those big noticeable virtue moments for Mm -hmm. nines but i think you're Mm -hmm. right i think it's like the 
you know, what did we, what, what did we call it? Like the small conflict muscles. Yeah. I think it's that constant, constant, um, awareness around exercising engagement yeah. in tiny ways every day that allows you to tap into that deeper vitality yeah. on a more consistent level, like in a more consistent way. Yeah. And I was telling you the other night, you know, this year of, um, pandemic and, just kind of my energy meter and what what's happening and that I have goodness wanted to be in a trance like I it is it is so hard for me not to think that is the best thing right that that would be the most soothing that that is the best way Mm -hmm. right and I've I have I have tranced out (laughs) multiple times Uh this year um and you know, my ongoing work is to observe that. And sometimes I observe it and I think, I don't, you know, and this year has been a kind of all the things that this year has been that sometimes I I think, I don't, I don't even know what to do, right? I don't even know how to listen, but Mm -hmm. I know that I need to listen, right? That I need to, to engage what, whatever's going on inside of myself. Um, even if I am not sure this, this weird year that we had with all of the, um, sadness and just everything that even if I don't know how to engage it, Mm -hmm. that, that that's going to be more alive and connected than me thinking that just kind of making my way through it in a peaceful way. Um, and it's so, it's just really hard not to think that's the greater good. Right. <laughs> for, for a nine. Right. So, whew, I, I like me a trance. <laughs> so, all right. Take you to a trance club. Take me to a trance club. <laughs> By myself. I don't want to go with other people. Okay. Type one. Um, anger is a, uh, the word that a lot of folks use for sin, a lot of teachers. But we've kind of talked about this similarly to the six, how mm-hmm. fear doesn't really kind of get at it. That I think resentment is a, a better a better word. And, um, you know, anger is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think it's kind of good for nines to realize it's not a bad thing, or nines, for ones to realize, for all nines too, uh, that it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But what the trap is for ones is when they are angry and um, they they hold on to it and put it on other other people because their their view of the world their um, what they've decided is correct isn't what you're up to or isn't what is happening right so they're angry about that they're then, angry about what. There. About the world not being how it's supposed oh, to be, right. how they've, they've decided, idealized it. yeah, right, mm-hmm. and they re- they repress that because they're trying to be good, right? So. Yeah, and I think I think that um, I think there's probably bound to be a lot of anger for ones who, you know, how I was talking earlier about how I look at my comparing mind and I look mm-hmm. at everybody who has has this stuff available for, they're just out there being overtly ambitious, and I'm like. Right. 
Yeah. You know, so mad that they're overtly ambitious. Well, I think ones are probably so mad when people are just irresponsible and are not trying very hard and just doing things casually and not thinking it through because they are working so hard all the time to do things well, to do things morally, to do things correctly, to do the responsible thing, the, the, ecological thing the you know all you know and imagine how exhausting that is and then some blase person comes in and and so there i'd be angry too i'd be angry if something was just looking easy but it but it's i think that it's constant yeah it's a different piece true 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 I just think it's it's just burning all the time it's kind of like angst versus fear yes like this constant um buzz of resentment or disappointment or all of those things right yeah um so i have here outrage is a fixation for ones and you just just in your tone (laughs) and just how you just said all of that right (laughs) that they become attached to their outrage that they see Mm. all of the things that are um wrong or not correct um maybe according to them Mm -hmm. um and so that anger, that outrage, that resentment can start to feel like a, feel good, like a bomb, like they Ooh. see it. And, um, I feel like we live in a time of outrage right oh, now with gosh. social media. Like, I feel like everyone's addicted to outrage. Yeah. It's just, yeah, not helpful. Well, and what ends up happening for ones is so they, they kind of get their energy from, that outrage it is mm-hmm. kind of like a bomb and what they can um, sometimes be tricked into that kind of being the place that they live in this mm-hmm. place of because um, they're correct of it's, correctness it's worthy of, outrage uh, right and what what the transformative part is is to look underneath that and to see their woundedness mm-hmm. and their grief that they that they think they might not be right right so it's this again kind of dependent stance seeing it outside and you know finding finding what they need outside of themselves um to kind of cover up what what their kind of deepest wound is that Mm -hmm. maybe um maybe they're not good right and so um that that can kind of be their their trick into thinking um thinking that they're virtue and you know i've wondered about ones if I wonder how much they do get tricked in that because of the voice, mm-hmm. you know, like, because everyone that we've talked to, there's just so much, I know we use the word shame, but there's, there's a lot of shame yeah. with ones and they're, and they're kind of the ways that they berate themselves without, um, anyone else, but not anyone else. And so I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if a ones trick themselves very often into thinking, um, thinking they've arrived i don't know oh yeah because they get to they get to be outraged that yeah, they deserve yeah they deserve to be yeah 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 um so the opposite almost of that is um the virtue of a one and that is serenity i love it yeah and um can i have that one do you have it <laughs> no i'm kidding so um again it's serenity is not everything being correct, right? So it's not thinking or 
proving that your way of seeing the world or what you think the world should be is the way. That's not serenity. But it actually comes from just letting the world be the way it is. And I always, um, I was telling you the other day, I always think about Richard Rohr, Father Rohr, um, who's a one. Every time he kind of talks about the Enneagram or when he talks about, he would call that grace, right? That you just uh, let kind of the non-dual, the non-dual way that you don't have to see black and white. You don't have to see right and wrong. You don't, you can just let it, let it be. And he'll, he'll, he'll kind of talk about how he sees all these things Mm -hmm. and how his voice, you can hear it in his voice. He gets angry. And then he, (laughs) he just kind of, you know, kind of his voice will match kind of the grace that he describes when he realizes, Oh, when he sees himself playing this game and protecting himself and um, making it be the way that he thinks it'll be safe, right? The way that um, he can protect himself. And then he thinks, Oh, yeah, I don't need to protect myself. Yeah, right? that that's a construct that I've put out there, and the the beautiful ways that ones when they allow themselves to be in the flow of that can teach us about serenity mm-hmm. in a way that we, gosh, man, as a nine, I just kind of get all fuzzy. If that could be my virtue, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, right that that they can teach us about it in a way um, and inhabit it in a way that we don't we can't we we don't understand right that that's really a, such a gift that they can can offer us that the world's imperfect and somehow all of the imperfections are beautiful right mm-hmm. that um letting go of the correct way of doing it allows them to be present because as long as they're wrapped up in seeing everything is right or wrong or yeah. um, not correct, yeah. then they can't be with us, mm-hmm. right? They can't. Um, but goodness, when they can let that drop, mm-hmm. they can teach us really something. Yeah. I think that, I think that like a four's fear of average, you know, and I feel like all the times in which I've felt like I actually got somewhere was when I allowed average to teach me. Yeah. And I think for with ones, it's like, how can the imperfections of this beautiful world teach them? And I think when they drop into that, that's, that's a beautiful, that's a gorgeous thing. Cause they, they, it's not, it's not like this fuzzy ser- no. serenity. No. It's a, it's, it's like a deep understanding of the grit of the imperfections of the world. Cause they've, they've been like they in the fire, they've been through all the stuff they've thought yeah. of all the things they've done, all the things yeah. they know what's at stake. And so it's like, they have made friends with, with the imperfection of the world and, right. and like truly see goodness in it. Yeah. 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 Lovely. Mm. Is that, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. I will. Yeah. We were just saying we took a little break in the middle of recording this and are hoping this is a bomb yeah. <laughs> for people. And hoping I guess it always kind of gets a little intense. Intense, um, <laughs> but it's good. I'm I'm really glad to. For me, I've I've you know in myself moved back and forth between even wanting to record a podcast because I think 
I should be in a trance somewhere yeah. else. So well, this I think for the me COVID has kind of worn you down. Yeah, really, and it's worn us all, all down. down. It's but absolutely worn me down too in yeah. different ways. Just diff- different ways. Yeah. And how what a gift it is. How I always will have the same tricks: COVID, mm-hmm. not COVID; ice storm, not ice storm, and just that's true. A little work, a little connection, mm-hmm. right? Just gives me new life to start observing myself again. Maybe choose some different things um, because I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to just be scared of dying and then be here. <laughs> you know, I want that that connection and I think so many of us do so yeah I think it's just another way to talk about observing yourself all right all right thanks everybody Left with